Welcome, Jeff Outlaw, to episode two of Producers Producing. Thank you so much for hopping on with me today. So Jeff is the executive producer at Network and founder of PFFT Studios. Yes. Did I get both of those correct? You got them both correct. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for thanks so much for uh, hopping on today. I really appreciate it. It's been a while since we've caught up, um, and I was giving you the rundown. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about like where you're at now and and who you are, and then dive into like how you got into production. Yeah. All right. So let's see. So over 20 years of uh, game um, creation at this point, which is kind of amazing when I think yeah. about it, because not a lot of people make it that long in their nope. career. But but. Um, so I started off, I don't know how much of this you even know. I started off as, a, as an artist and an animator. And I was doing, uh, I was doing environments and I was doing uh, animation for the first seven years. Oh, um, awesome. I worked my way up to, yeah, I worked my way up to uh, animation manager at the first studio I was working at. Okay. And, uh, you know, then at that point I was managing schedules and, and team members and everything. And then I got a job offer to go to Australia as a producer. That was my first production role. And it was not really very different from what I was doing. I think the studio I was at didn't really have producers. They, this is this is way back in the day when producers right. were really, they weren't in every studio anyways. Yeah. Yep. But the rule is if you get a job offer to go to Australia, you've got to take it. Like that's just the rule. So right. I mean, that's like <laughs> such a rare opportunity for exactly. sure, especially back then. Yeah. 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 So I went to, I was in Australia from 2007, 2009. That was a great time. I mean, I love, it's a beautiful country to, to visit. I don't know that you can make a, I, I wouldn't make my home there for right. too much longer than two years, but two years were great. Yeah. And, uh, and that's when I actually learned like better what a producer is supposed to be. I okay. picked up agile. I was, I was coaching in agile and scrum, uh, by a guy who was really smart and knew exactly how to teach it. Uh, and then I took that to Pittsburgh and I worked in a studio in Pittsburgh for about seven years. Mm-hmm. And then went to um, VR stuff for a little while, and then the studio in, in Orlando. Um, so I bounced around quite a bit. I'm now find myself working a lot of um, the, the studio I'm at now is a um, blockchain and Web three gaming studio. Okay, and uh, and I very much like it. I mean, I've been a blockchain advocate for since I guess 2017 is when I started understanding it, but more because I was studying finance and what money really was back. Okay. 2007, 2008, I started like diving into what makes money, money. And then right. 2017, I understand blockchain and got into the, those stuff. So when blockchain and gaming came together, I was like, this is perfect. I, I love both those fields. I kind of mixed them both together. And that's where I ended up uh, where I am now. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Did um, So I'm curious. So, so you, because when we met, we were both working at Iron Galaxy and you were definitely a big advocate for um, the educational side of gaming and Scrum and Agile and a lot of those parts were kind of coalescing at that time. So, you know, you said you had a really good mentor. When you first got into production at the studio, what was the studio's name at, in Australia? Well, that, when, I, I, when I was a producer first, that was Pandemic Studios. In okay, Pandemic. So when you so when you went to Pandemic, um, did you have a notion? You said you were like their first producer or that's when you segue. Did you have a notion of Agile? Because that was even before it became the kind of preferred method of development or even right. for software before it transitioned into to gaming. So like, what was your knowledge of, of, of yeah, that so even before you got there? It wasn't that studio. I wasn't their studio's first producer. They had a whole bunch of producers, but what oh, okay. they had- that was your first. Yeah. It was like, my first role as a producer, okay. right? And, and the studio before that, the one I left as an animation manager, they didn't have producers necessarily. Okay, okay. So, 
Yeah, that studio, Pandemic had, they had like two teams. They had a, a very large team working on an Xbox 360 title. And then they had a really small team working on a Wii title, and that was upstairs. They, they, we were kind of separated. Oh, and okay. the, the big Xbox 360 title, we were doing standard, you know, trash task tracking with uh, Gantt charts and moving things around. And it was, mm-hmm. there were three producers on, the, on that project. I was producer for uh, animation and design, but there was also an art producer and an engineering producer. And the three of us kind of worked together. And we also had a production um, manager with us as well. But there was like, and then we had an executive producer who was paired with the creative director. So there was like five producers to handle that project of over a hundred people, yeah, but yeah. it was the standard process and it was everything that I'd always ever done to uh, produce a game. But you know, that whole Gantt chart style or assembly line style, it had all kinds of problems. So yeah. eventually that project was shut down. The, the studio decided we couldn't, we couldn't ship that title and they, they downsized and they put me with the studio, the team that was upstairs doing the Wii title. Okay. Those guys, they had these, this one room, they called it the war room with all these pieces of paper taped to the wall and all these numbers yeah. and all these boxes yeah. and everything. And I didn't know what was going on. And they asked me to, they, they had an associate, they had an assistant producer, but their producer had left and they were producerless. And they asked oh. me to jump from just a, a, a producer role to their, their senior producer to jump over this guy who was still there. And I was like, wait a minute, he's got this great system or he's got, he has a system. And I should say, at pandemic, there were three teams in LA and our two teams in, in Australia. And of all the teams, they always did like like happiness surveys. The okay. one team that always did the best was that little Wii team upstairs. They had like much, much higher, you know, uh, sat- job like satisfaction. Job satisfaction, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, listen, if you're going to, if, if I'm going to take the, if I'm going to all of a sudden be this guy's boss, I don't want to screw things up because they seem to be doing very well. Teach me what it is that you're doing so I don't, you know, don't mess it up. And his name was Gary, and he was amazing. He was like really kind of a Australian bloke, a kind of a quiet guy, but he right. was very, very, very smart about this system anyways. And he walked me through it. And every time he would explain something to me, I would go, oh, my gosh, that solves this problem that we always have. Or that solves, you know, that, that gets people, like there's a, if you know Azure really well, you know that part of it is, or Scrum anyways, part of it is um, ceremony and, and cadence and keeping us, but then part of it's also psychological, like the mm-hmm. idea that uh, the producer is not the, the manager. He's the guy, he's just the team member who helps him keep everything in order. But right. when I'm reporting, you know, engineers reporting what he did yesterday, he's not reporting to, to the producer. He's reporting it to his teammates. To right? the team, yeah. yeah. And all, that whole psychological, like we're supporting each other and we're, and we're responsible to each other. Super, super valuable. Things like the demo day where everyone has to present something. Right, mm-hmm. kind of hold you accountable for your two week or your three week sprint. Make sure that you delivered something. Um, there's always that little bit of pressure to to show off, um, and then the retrospective, opening the door to saying, "Listen, we don't have it perfect. We there are ways we can make this better for everybody. Let's talk about it. Not just once at the end of the project when everyone suffered through two years of crap, which yeah. is what postmortems always Post- were. Postmortems, yeah." Right. But no, instead, on a regular basis, let's ask ourselves, how do we get better? And it's not an accusatory thing. It's not a finger pointing thing. It's a very much, you know, how do we how do we improve the system so that we only have to suffer through it for one three week period and then we get better? Mm -hmm. I've worked at studios before where management is super um, uh, self-conscious about, you know, don't say anything bad about management. So you couldn't have a retrospective. I was told clearly at one studio, no more after our first retrospective at that studio, no more retrospectives. I said, why? Well, because everyone's accusing the management of making mistakes. I'm like, I don't think that's what they were saying. They were just asking for ways to get better. 
and they were like, no, adamant. And I didn't, I didn't last that studio very long. Right, right. So, yeah. Anyways, that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of my whole rundown. I don't know if I, if I ranted a bit. No, no, you, that's, that's what this is for. I mean, this is like, there's no, there's no set rhyme reason. Just kind of get an understanding of like your background, how you got into production. So what, you know, going from art where you were, and, and again, if I get it incorrect, so just correct me. Um, but going from art where you were, you know, an artist, artist at heart, you're creating content, then you're starting to manage, and then you make the full shift to not being a content contributor anymore. You're just managing. What, do you do you remember any kind of moments where you're like, uh, this was a mistake? Maybe I don't <laughs> want to be a producer, or like, or something where you're like, okay, this totally makes sense with the things that I've always loved, which are X, and now I can marry it with Y, and you can yeah, kind of keep not going. Really, I mean, like I've kind of at this point, I I spent a lot of time also doing um, design documents and uh, mostly for like um, economy systems because I'm again I'm. So many games are required. Yeah, really yeah. economy system. So I get involved in that. I, I get to. I get to every once in a while. But that, there was a period there where I was. Where I just I left the art behind. But I was never the best animator. There were always way better animators on my team. That's why yeah. I was a manager. Yeah. You don't make yeah. the best guy stop doing the stuff stop that they're the, the best at, right? <laughs> yeah, don't do that. They're way better animators than I was. So I, that never bothered me. And I got to see all their cool work, right? And yeah. the concept artists and all the things too. So it never, it didn't really bother me. And and I did art on the side. I I did some gallery shows and things That's like cool. that. So I I did watercolors. I got plenty of. My artistic out, uh, it, I, I, my artistic side got out of me, you know, other ways. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, but the part about the production that I've always still enjoyed is the idea of watching other people do their best work, right, and finding mm -hmm. ways to help them do their best work. So if I can uh, solve a problem or take something off of somebody's plate, like, oh, I, I don't know what the client really wants. Well, let me go find out for you, and I'll try to translate what they say to something that you can make actionable. Like, right, if right. That's my role. That's totally cool. I also got very lucky about, oh gosh, maybe 10 years into being a producer. Mm -hmm. uh, after that's so why I learned agile and I was running teams. This is in Pittsburgh. I, I, I said I was going to write a book about how to, you know, how to be a better producer. Yeah. And as yeah. I'm doing the research for that. I'm realizing I'm a kind of a crappy producer. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I really was when it's I, when the I was back, light bulb moment ever, right? <laughs> not that I was not good at the ceremonies and all those things and things, but yeah. the people, I was really dismissive of people, I think, or just not attuned to like, I think as a producer, one very important aspect is being able to understand and, and relate to people. Yeah. And I came in 100%. and I, and I credit uh, retrospectives and the teams I was working with. Cause they were, they held me to account. It was great. I mean, I learned quite a bit from them too, but you know, I came in pretty brash and pretty egotistical. I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And I would, and I'm pretty laid back and like, I like to laugh and you know, I'm, I'm a jokey kind of guy at times, but I got, I remember very clearly with the whole trigger for it was that somebody's had put in the retrospective that I didn't appear to be taking their concerns seriously because I was always laughing. Because I always kind of at that point was always like, you know, we're going to figure this out. Don't worry, it'll, it'll be okay. Yeah. But the way that I was saying that to some people was super dismissive, and I was like, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that way. Right. Anymore. So I want to learn right. how to be a better producer. So while we went out and studied, if as we get around to talking about really good um, tool sets, um, there's a YouTube channel called Charisma on Command that I find right. very useful. Awesome. Um, and the books, um, thanks for the feedback. And difficult conversations. Those are two the same same authors on those two books. Okay, they were they those two books too. Super fun, like foundational to me being better at taking in 
uh, feedback, even from people who aren't really particularly good at giving feedback, like even people who are yelling at me, I'm like, I right, right. got now, I think I'm better anyways, to the point of saying, okay, well, they're not saying it very well, but they are breath. saying something. <laughs> exactly. Them, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to make sure that I hear what they're saying and, and, and can react to it and, and learn from it. Even, I mean, at some point you can say, all right, they have the wrong, they, they don't have all the information and they're wrong, but I still don't want to, to say to their face, you know, that there's probably some truth into what they're saying, or at least for them, it's a truth for them. So I should still react to that. In a way I was going to say, it takes, it takes a beat to try and figure out, well, how, what can I take away from this that they're saying? That is right. actually maybe not exactly the way they're saying it. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. how can I, how can I dissect that? So I can actually have a good conversation about it for sure. I mean, that I and, totally know and what they ended up turning into was um, for the last couple of jobs, my role became, okay, the client is very upset. I've worked at a lot of studios that were for hire studios. Yeah, yeah. So the client is really upset. We need to, someone's got to calm them down. Jeff, get in there and calm them down. <laughs> so my role became, they, they put me on projects where the client was, you know, particularly not happy. And I would just, I guess yeah, I had harder, learned all these harder whisper. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of a little bit, yeah. a little bit. Like, um, and I don't mind it. Again, I like, I, I like the idea of getting people who are, um, you know, carried away or, or, or maybe at, a, at an emotional high, meeting them where they are and then bringing them back down to a, a place where we can still, um, be constructive with each other. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's important. And, and especially if you're working at a work for hire studio or, you know, n the majority of the time, at least I've found in my own personal careers, even when you're not at a work for hire studio, the chances are that same skill set is going to apply to an internal stakeholder or the C-suite or some, somebody ancillary that still is very important within that, you know, reporting process or that process of how you're communicating with other people. So it's like that same skill applies. Yeah. And, it, and it's kind of funny. One one thing you just mentioned that like totally resonated. You were talking about how you, you sometimes make jokes in situations that were serious, and then people were like, "You're not taking it seriously." I have I have definitely heard that feedback. I think that is even for myself. I have a, a maybe a nervous tendency of like when things are getting very very serious, and I'm not a hundred percent sure of like the exact answer. I might make a joke to just try and lighten things, or I might just make a joke even if it's I don't know, being asked of something to just try and lighten the mood. And people are like, right. I don't think you're taking this seriously. You know, I've, I've heard that feedback later. And I'm like, I'm taking this incredibly seriously. It's just getting a little bit too serious. And that's like my coping mechanism. So I will try to try to figure right. out maybe, maybe not make a, a joke. And it's never like a, it's never like a, you know, a, a lewd joke or anything, but it's just a joke. No, no. Right? And, right. And right, that's right. enough to be like, you're not taking it seriously. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, that's, that's, that's funny. Um, <laughs> so now, so, so moving from, so I, you were, I saw your shell games for a long time. We worked together at IG for, for a while. Um, and then now at network, you were talking about dealing with, so is that a, a good party role now? Like dealing with, explain a little bit actually about what network does and what you do for them. And then I'm curious how that you were just talking about how like that work for hire kind of partner whisper um, <laughs> role comes into play or you do you do that a lot of that at network and and then maybe tell me a little about what you guys um, do yeah sure network is a it's a metaverse project it was it was founded by a couple of guys who started in VR um, okay. they rode the wave of the nft wave and the, and the nft land sale wave and they you know built up the, the concept of this big open world where uh, you own your assets and you'll be able to create you know they're 
part of the work is creating a, a what they call the creation engine, but it's a tool suite that people can use to generate their own content and then sell that content for crypto, which is, you know, can be translated into real world currency. So um, okay. as, as everyone was getting NFT crazy, so the, we've signed a whole bunch of partners to be partner projects to um, network as a world. So we were going to create the world and allow them to bring their characters, their avatars into our right. world. So part of my role was to, I, I facilitate the conversations between partner projects. And as we have, you know, advancements to our projects, I talk to them, let them know, you know, what the advancements are, if there's a technical, I don't, I don't do the technical stuff, but I can right. facilitate conversations between their tech team and our tech team. Um, but generally, so that's, that's a part of the role is, is cool. handling yeah. the partners. And I can't, and some of the partners we've had, like we're working with the Coolio's estate, we were actually working with Coolio before he passed away, but now Coolio's oh, estate. Yeah. yeah. And he, his, the guy who runs his estate, a friend of Coolio's, super nice guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but that, so with them, great, they've been super smooth, but we've had other celebrities we've worked with that are just, I mean, I don't have much, I don't have much need for celebrities myself. Sure. And I don't, I live, I live, I don't know if you know this, I live here in South Carolina, like among the cow fields and everything. Oh, so do you really? I'm oh, that's awesome. 100% remote. Okay. And I don't, I mean, me from Hollywood, like I could care less. Yeah. So people yeah. with like really large egos who come in and then one, this one guy tried to bulldoze us, you know, he's trying to get a whole bunch of money from, from the studio for very little of his, um, eagle work. And time I, and commitment. Yeah. 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 I just, I just, I kind of had this same regard. It was an uncomfortable conversation to say the least. That so I, I don't win every I don't win everybody over. I've gotten yeah. good at, at bringing some people down, but I've had a couple of conversations in this job and other jobs where I just like I remember that conversation it didn't go well, and I'll probably <laughs> never. I, there was no way I was ever going to satisfy that person. Yeah, that yeah. The the partner hat that you wear as a producer, it's almost that weird kind of BD hybrid role too, because you want to get more potential projects with that partner or not. And then sometimes that does come down to like the not, right? Like, well, I don't think we actually should probably work together anymore with this particular partner afterwards. Right. Let's fulfill this commitment or let's not even get into this commitment before we, you know, have to get any further. And that's, well, I'm all about that's being part of it. I, I'm all about being equitable, right? If I'm, if I'm yeah. treating one partner one way, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to try to treat every partner that way. Yeah. At the same time, if this, if this partner is putting in a lot of effort, they should be getting more from us than this one who's not putting in a whole bunch of effort and still expecting all that that guy expected. Cause you know, I, he kind of draw the line. Well, I, yeah, he's getting all that attention because he was also doing all these things for us. You aren't doing any of those things for us. So you'll get less attention. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. But so, honestly, that's just the partner stuff. I, I much prefer the internal stuff. I mean, I much prefer the, the, I just like the idea as a producer, I get to know everybody on the team. You know, there are engineers who don't know any artists on the team and there are, animators who won't know any, you know, uh, uh, QA people on the team, but as a producer, right, you get to know everybody. Yeah. And I, that's another reason why I've always liked this role is because I get to know the entire team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you get to look at every side of development, uh, for yeah. what everybody's facing and get to know everybody. Yeah, I love it too. I totally agree. Are you finding, do, do you find anything different in terms of, you know, I know every new job has new challenges, new opportunities to learn and grow. What were some of the, what have been some of the you know, moments in this particular role, um, especially maybe as it relates to kind of web through and blockchain, I know you've yeah. been like researching it and interested in it and, you know, focusing on that, but is there anything where you're like, oh, that's actually really different than what I've done in the oh. past. So I, when I got put onto the network team, I actually came into the network team as a, I was a, just coming in as the economy designer. That's all I was going to do. I was going to do any production. Okay. 
and they had a sea level person just uh, lose his mind and leave the studio in a very disruptive way. And I was kind of saying to some people when I, when I heard about it, I was like that we shouldn't overreact, you know, publicly because there's no reason for it. He was just being a jerk. So let him be a jerk and we're just going to go on and do great things. Anyways, that conversation led to me being in the room as we started fashioning our public facing response that parlayed into me doing more public facing stuff and and comedy. (laughs) Anyways, that's how I ended up being the executive producer. So, so I took this new role, I took the roles and then I started taking a look at the whole project as a whole. And I drew up a story map of what the project really should look like because they didn't really have a good story map, which is another tool I would talk about as like a really vital piece of being a producer. So as I drew up the story map, I had vertical columns that you never saw in traditional gaming, like the economy and the white paper and the community outreach. Because Mm. in traditional gaming, right, you you announce with a press release that you're going to make this game, you go quiet for three years, and then you pop your head up just as the game's ready to go into alpha and tell everybody what you've done. But with these kinds of Web3 games, because the community is kind of, they're partially investors because they went and bought some of the items that helped to fund the creation of the, of the game, or they bought land or they bought NFTs. Okay. They're, we're in constant communication with the community, or we ought to be anyways. Right, because they so, literally have, like they have money, they have skin in the game, right? So they right. want to know. Exactly. It's, it's, right. it's like you're, it's just like if you bought a stock, right? You have to let your, you have to let your, yes. your yeah. know what's going on. So one of the key members of our team are, is our community management team and, and our community manager and, and lead in, in particular, he's guys tremendous. Yeah. And it, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be anywhere without somebody like that. And that's someone very good in that role, doing the hard work that he does to keep the community kind of always engaged and happy and, or at least kind of smoothing over the difficulties. Um, right. So that's, a, that's a, new, a brand new vertical that you wouldn't see in traditional gaming. Um, the economy. And, and so beyond just having another couple of verticals, those also interact with a whole bunch of different areas within the, the rest of the team, right? So community right. manager, for example, has to be in, in sync with the designers because as the designers are talking about what else they're going to put in the game, the community wants to know about it or ideas come in from the community. He's got to talk to the, to the designer, you know, lead designer or the creative director. So there's a lot more back and forth. You know how it is when you, if you've got uh, four groups, you've got one, two, three, four, five, you got 16 different passive communication. If you have a fifth group, now all of a sudden it's exponential, right? Now you've not just 16, you've got, what is that? Uh, uh, 16 times four, whatever that. Like a beautiful mind right? all of a sudden, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're talking about like seven different verticals because you've got all these other areas in there. It's a lot of, it's a lot more communication management. And I've always said that the, one, the key role for a producer really is a communication lead. You, yeah. you facilitate communication among team members from your team to the entire studio from your, your team to your partner, to your, your, your um, stakeholders on the outside, the, the, mm-hmm. you know, whoever hired the studio, and then with the team and the future or the past. But basically being able to record everything that's important to get recorded, whether it's your tasks or your meeting notes, that kind of thing. It's, we have to facilitate a lot of communication across time. Yeah. That's a, it's, yeah. A, it's a key role in those ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, the overtalk. No, I don't mean to talk about. I mean, you still can't make a game without an engineer either. So you know, there's going to be artists and designers and engineers, right? You can understand the the commonalities in how a game would come together. But then there's all those things for a producer you you didn't you didn't know until you first came into it, or you learn on a new game, right? So we were talking about that vertical right. of community. It's almost like uh, it. It almost sounds like a game in live ops, but it's not quite a game in live ops, right? Cause a game in live ops, you, 
you ha now have to separate into being to managing that community and hearing what they have to say and what they're interested in while you're also balancing what you want to do for the game and what your own team wants to do for the game. Um, it's, it's almost it sounds very similar to that, except for your, your product is still in the works and, and forgive me if your product is already out in the market and people are using it, but for some of these, you know, you've already launched your token sale. So people have already invested, but you're still behind the scenes getting that game to come out or getting that right. product to come yeah. out. Yeah, it's actually a good way to put it. It is very much like live ops, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's pretty wild. Was there anything, so besides the, that's definitely different, is there anything else? And I've, I've heard that before where one of the interesting challenges is that kind of community aspect or just some of the nature of those groups that are more into the Web3 and crypto space. Has there been anything else that kind of popped up to your mind that's been very different than you're like, okay, that... I've never had to tackle that before. Um, well, the other aspect of it is, um, all right, when you talk about reward system in mm -hmm. a video game that you just, you know, in any other traditional game, right? You can reward somebody with a level up, right? I've, I've gone to from level three to level four. Oh, it took me yeah. three days, but now I'm on level four. And that can feel like a real, that's a huge, wow, look at that. Four days and I'm level four. Woof. Yeah, yeah. With with the, the reward system inside of a crypto a web three game, when it's tied to real world value, that's very easy to recognize, mm -hmm. right? I worked, I worked for four days and I earned so many dollars, right? But so many dollars, like if we ended up rewarding somebody for four days worth of work with a single dollar worth of, you know, tokens, they're right. like, that was not worth it. That, that they're very, it's very easy to translate your reward into real world into value. Price. Yeah. So you can get, you can really upset the player, you know, all oh, they yeah. worked you know, they work four days for to level up to level this level. That's amorphous, right? They can't tell how much value that's supposed to be, how long it should take. But right. if I tell you you work for four days to earn a dollar, you know to be mad, right? You know that that's <laughs> right. Not what. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's an aspect of it because there's real world value in the reward system. You got to be really thoughtful about the like yeah a new level of thoughtfulness to your reward system, um, and and really to any part of it. Like we have. It, one part of the economy system that we designed is um, uh, an in-game currency. We just call it energy, but it's uh, the amount. It's based on the amount of hours you play and the amount of effort you put into um, your play. So if you okay. sit in your space for just an hour, you earn like a little bit. But if you sit in your space for an hour and you invite a whole bunch of people in and you do a lot of things in the world and you you make the world better or, or add to it, then you should get way more than that little drip you got from just standing still. Yeah. So the, the, again, and it goes back to my understanding of the concept of money, which is the, it's the way that you measure the amount of time, effort, and creativity someone has put into something. Mm -hmm. We talk about gold that has value because it takes time and energy and you make a pretty coin out of it, some creativity to get it out of the ground, you know, to refine it down. It's a lot of time and energy goes into yeah. making a gold coin. That's why it has value. Plus the, it's limited resource. Yeah. Um, really. Gold is a limited resource and time is a limited resource. So those two parts make it, you know, anyways, it's same type of thing. When you talk about, right, right. So the same type yeah. of thing when you talk about game economies and especially crypto game economies, you want to kind of recognize that time and energy and creativity have value and how you reward the value is a whole other part of the equation. Yeah, that's a tricky, that's got to be a tricky, tricky balance. I'm, I'm not, not a strong suit of mine. It's not something I, I, I fully, uh, fully grasp, but yeah, that's got to be a tricky balance, especially it's such a different market, such a different different kind of niche. Um, yeah. So I've got to imagine there's and still, still blossoming. A new, 
Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say so. Still, so much to explore and learn because it's still growing. Yeah, um, yeah. And we and we have to compete with the traditional gaming sector, which is so massive. Yeah, right? yeah. that's the other thing too. And I always talk to partners and everything. My whole point was we should not be competing with each other. Really, what we're competing with is traditional gaming, legacy gaming, to make sure that people kind of find their way from that system to our system, which ultimately I think is going to win. But right, it's going to take right. some time. Yeah, it's got to feel somewhat similar for for to make that easy transition instead of feeling like total night and day and a whole yeah, other yeah. kind of thing that they have to that a player would have to learn. Um, right. so not just on the terms of mechanics, but like the economy and all that other stuff. Next thing you know, they're like, "Well, I'll just log back out and play something else." So right, right, right. And some of them uh, don't want that kind of complexity. They don't want to have to worry about money while they're playing the game. So I get yeah. that too. Do you have any tips and tricks for up and coming producers or anything that you? that you think is, is uh, any drops of Jeff wisdom for somebody who <laughs> wants to break into the production industry, or maybe somebody who's been in the, in the, in production for a while. And, and you're like, Hey, here's some, here's some parts sure. that you should kind of yeah. take away. I did a fair amount of mining of, uh, you know, GDC talks and Ted talks on how mm-hmm. to talk to people and, and you know, how to make games and everything. So the one thing I would do is I'd say mine those resources, right? What I would do when yeah. I would watch a video was I'd watch it once and then watch it a second time with a, a Google Doc open where I would try to build the outline that the speaker used to make their talk and mm-hmm. I would capture it all. And I have a document, it's in my personal G drive that's, gosh, probably over 200 pages long of all these different talks that I've watched, the link that the, you can find them at and the basic right. outline of the talk I gave. So whenever I want to refer back to, oh, someone was talking about this, I can go back and look at information that I captured. Oh, that's cool. That's, yeah. that's the first thing. The other, the other tip that I always give producers is, you know, like I mentioned, difficult conversations and thanks for the yep. feedback. Those two books by Sheila Heen and, and uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Anyways, when you find, when someone offers, oh, you should totally read this book. What mm-hmm. I've done, what I've gotten to now is mm-hmm. I find the author of the book and then I go and look and see if they've done a video like explaining the book. Because oh, you can get to the yeah. book, you can get a lot of the information about the book just from watching the video of them. And then I, I followed that first process where, you know, I do the outline and everything. Yeah, yeah, do the outline of the notes. <laughs> so that's another you know, that's shortcut awesome. to, to getting the information. Yeah, um, that's all. I remember, I remember when we were working together, um, when you would go and you'd have, you know, the production team watch videos or we would talk about different videos or speeches or TED Talks that were, that were cool. Yeah. Um, and I remember the, uh, back then you were, uh, one piece of advice was like, watch it at like one and a quarter or, or even one and a half X speed, you know, to get through yeah. the information. And, uh, it was so funny cause the, you think about that now and you're like, of course, but back then it was like, wait, what? And I mean, <laughs> that's still how I like listen to a lot of podcasts, maybe not one and a half. Cause it depends on who is talking and what they're talking about. Um, but yeah, now you remember, everyone's going to. Everyone's going to go click on this video and make it go one, three, right, one right. It's gonna, and I'm going to sound like a chipmunk and it's going to be. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, those, uh, those two tips that come right to mind. Um, uh, and the last thing I would say is like, really, if you've got the mindset to become a, a people person and you're, and you're halfway as organized, you can become a producer. I had one guy that I trained out of, a, I was working at a military contracting company for a year. And this one okay. guy who, wanted to be a producer and he'd never been, he, he was just a Navy guy. And uh, right. I recognized he was smart and he was organized. And I said, I, I'll show you how to do it. And now the guy works, I think he works at Universal now. He's super happy working as making, you know, making oh, video awesome. games. It's a yeah. lifelong dream. So yeah. totally can have. Yeah, that's awesome. So what are some uh, tools, some some kind of tools in your own toolbox that are that are uh, 
things you you swear by? Um, they could, these can be like your own kind of personal productivity tools, or they could be like game dev specific, or just anything like even as even as basic as like I love to put all my notes into OneNote and I tag them uh, like X or Y, yeah. you know. Well, Stuff I use Photoshop. Kind of swear by. Yeah, I, I use Photoshop a whole bunch still because I like okay. to I like to use visuals to explain what I'm talking about, right? So visual I'll, learning, yeah, yeah, yeah I, and visual just broadcast really. Mm-hmm. Um, I use uh, Google um, presentations, right? So mm-hmm. I do a lot of story mapping, and I use presentations to do the story mapping because it's just a quick way to draw a whole bunch of boxes and put text in it and draw a story map. So okay. I very much like the, the combination of those two things between doing up images and visual flow charts, those kinds of things. I think those end up being a really good way to, to communicate to people. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I really do like taking running notes in a meeting. If I'm in a long standing meeting, uh, which I, I remember I just had one a couple of days ago, um, I'll have uh, the, the note sheets that I'm using that I'm taking notes in, I'll have that up on screen so everybody who's in the meeting can see me taking the notes. Mm-hmm. And that way they can quickly correct me if I've typed something wrong or uh, uh, this is a trick that I've, I've used before where but if someone feels like they're, they're, someone's stuck on something that they're, they're really adamant about and they're stuck on it, they won't let it go. Oftentimes, if you write it down on a document and show them that you've written it down, that's enough for them to go, okay, it's recorded. Finally, I can move on to the next subject. So I use note taking in front of yeah. the crowd to kind of keep them. Uh, to keep it also helps to keep the, the the meeting moving, right? Because especially if I put the agenda there first and say, okay, we're going to this section now. Does anybody see anything in the section before that I missed that I should be adding in? Or yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, I really like that. I that's that's one thing that I've I've I have fallen. I have done it mixed mixed uh, waves where I've I have been really good about doing notes live in front of you know when I'm in a meeting, even running it or just participating or or and uh, and I've also like kind of fallen into that trap where like set up meetings, with no agenda, or maybe not being as accurate with like the recaps and just trying to make, but I, I do like that as like a good kind of forcing function for those meetings to, right. to like be that, be taking those notes, be captioned as action items. And then also, cause like what you're saying, A, it'll keep things moving along, but it'll remind people of like, oh yeah, I do have to follow up on that or Oh no, Jeff! You you wrote that down wrong. That's not what we're talking about. Right? Uh, There's a knot in that sentence that, that you didn't include. That knot is very important. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. It's not do this. It's do not do that. Oh, right, right. Let me put the knot in there. It's, exactly. It's, and then the other part about that is, if you're in with clients and things, what we would do, we learned the hard way. What we came to do in Pittsburgh at Shell Games was we would make sure that we send a copy of those notes to the. People, it's every, well, first of all, at the very top, you should include who's attended the meeting so that people can't say, well, I wasn't at that meeting. And you can say, no, no, I bet your name. You were definitely there. But then we would send it to the client also and say, listen, here's the notes that I captured. Please send over any you have. Or if there's anything in here that we captured an error, let us know. Yep. Because then four months down the road, when they say, we never said that. And I go, well, we did say it. We said it in this meeting, dated here. You were at the meeting and you said it this part right here. You didn't correct it. So I assumed that it was still correct. Sure, we can make the change that you're asking for, but recognize that now this is going to be a, a change order because you had already said do it this way. Yeah, I, I was going to say what that last part was super key because it's it's I've had that, and I don't necessarily want to say the partner of the project, but I have definitely had that in the past where for like milestone reviews where we would load up a doc, we'd have a running doc of of what was said, what was tracked, you know, when it was when it was logged, when it was fixed, and it can be as elaborate as needed, but the purpose is to serve exactly what you said. So we'd say, Hey, you said to change X, 
we changed we we did change it we put it in that build you said it's approved now you're saying it's not approved totally fine we get it we can make that change but here's what that change means now like we want you to understand that like it was right. signed off on and we did hear you we listened to you right and we can make that change but that change doesn't come come for free right, right. um yeah. and it's not you know it's not a finger wagging exercise right it's not a it's not it's, it's never like oh uh-huh, I caught yeah, you on that one, but it is to keep it is to keep a record because so much stuff is said and so much goes on throughout the course of development that you know you you could get yourself into quite a conundrum, and that was definitely I think it's probably different in gaming than it is in maybe like consulting or tried and true software development because you use the word change order where like it is very often the case where you're like, okay, we can do that change, but contractually now it means this much more time yeah. and this much more money, please sign here. Whereas in game development, you often end up just kind of like eating it, which then right. becomes another kind of problem for another episode later about, you know, <laughs> scope and scope change and, and, you know, and, and cost change and all that stuff yeah. that just, that, you know, that really gets you. So. Oh, I was going to say you did. I wanted you to shout out. You have a you have a podcast, or you have a no. I have an animated series. That's right, PFFT okay. Studios. Yeah. So if if you go and search Hazard Hollow Locals on okay. YouTube, okay, or if you just go to the PFFT website, we have the link there too. Awesome. But I have an animated animated show called Hazard Hollow Locals. It's about a cartoon gorilla and a cartoon raccoon who have their own podcast that they're trying to uh, they're trying to make the internet famous. Because yeah. they they work lawn care and they're they're tired of working lawn care. Awesome. Um, so it's like a, it's like it's very southern uh, humor based. It's basically he meets every nut who lives in his town and he kind of has him on the podcast as like a local celebrity. That is so it's, cute. It's kind of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I will definitely so, link that. Yeah, and uh, I will definitely link that and I'll check it out. I've, I'm uh, I'm excited. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate uh, all your time. It was great catching up. It's been a while. Yeah, right. Um, and I appreciate all your time. And uh, I would love to do more. The whole goal, like I was saying earlier, before we before we hit the press record button, is um, just get some insights and wisdom, kind of where we're at today. But the whole goal is like to evolve this into a little bit more specific on like how do you mentor or how do you have those tough conversations and talk with different great producers about their experience in maybe, you know, kind of go a layer deeper than just how do you get into gaming and why do you do what you do, but to talk about yeah. specific things, I think that helps a lot too. And so, yeah, yeah. It'd be great. It'd be great to talk about like the people management and the things a little bit deeper. Cause there's yeah. Quite a bit there. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's tons there. So for, first is to uh, managing, your, managing your boss. That's a whole other, yes. That's a whole other deal that's, too. That's a whole other deal too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for catching up, Jeff. I'll put a link to your awesome animated series and let's do another one in the future. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, thanks Jeff.